Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Hey guys, welcome again uh, to our How to Be series. Uh, thank you guys for joining us both in your backyard cathedrals and uh, if you are watching the Dwell Digital Living Room uh, from your own living room, want to say hello. Thank you for joining us once more. Uh, today we're going to talk about how to be a worshiper and how to worship God properly. It actually makes me think of uh, this time when we were living in New Orleans. We used to go on this little walking tour. And I've probably told you this story before because though it is a completely anticlimactic story, it is one of the most profound experiences of my life. We're on this walking tour and you see like celebrities' homes and historic homes and, you know, Peyton Manning's house is down there and that kind of stuff. Like, so we're walking around, walking around, we're saying, hey, this is this home, this is this home. We get to this one and we're like, this is a really old house, it was owned by so-and-so. Actually, rumor has it that John Goodman lives there right now. And as we and my friends from out of town are standing across the street, out emerges, lumbers in fact, the one and only John Goodman. I don't know uh, how you feel about John Goodman. I, I, I would have never thought of myself as a fanboy necessarily, but you gotta respect the man. And he comes out like a giant, you know, yeti or something like that, sort of lumbering out. He's got two little, like, golden-haired um, uh, lab, you know, what do you call them? Like, the, you know, the little lady and the tramp kind of dogs. And he's, like, kind of, you know, doing his bear walk out. And he walks out. He walks down his porch, walks out to his, like, uh, mailbox, which is sort of built into his old, like, cast iron or wrought iron fence. And he's wearing a, like, you know, tank top and what I couldn't tell if they were boxers or shorts, but uh, not that it really matters, and no shoes whatsoever. And you gotta remember, too, he's just massive. He's huge and uh, one of the more consistent stars in Hollywood for the past, like, I don't know, 20 years, something like that. And he is standing just across the street from me, and he comes out. And he kind of looks up and down the street and checks his mail, looks up and down one more time in case the mailman apparently just happened to be walking by at that very instant, and then lumbers back into his house. Now, uh, me standing across the street, we are all like awestruck in silence, not knowing what to do. And all I can think to do is like, all these things are running through my head, right? I'm like, well, this is his home. He may or may not have any pants on. He does, clearly doesn't have any shoes on. He's not like, you know, holding a press conference or anything like that. It's probably kind of annoying to be, you know, attacked by fans all the time. And you don't want to be those cheesy guys. It's like, hey, I know you're just checking your mail, but can you sign something for me or anything like that? I didn't want to be like that. But I also felt like it's kind of kind and generous in some level to, like, recognize what stardom I am standing in front of. And so all of these thoughts are sort of running through my head as I'm watching this scene unfold. Time slows down completely. It comes to a standstill. And I decide that the only proper thing for me to do is this. That's what I did from across the street. And he kind of like looked up at me and glared, did not return my wave, and lumbered silently back into his home. You know, when we're in the uh, presence of greatness, it can, be, it can be kind of confusing as to how we are to respond. And I think worship is actually exactly what we're talking about. It's that sort of element of like, how are we supposed to rightly respond to the God of the universe? 
David Crowder, who is a worship leader, he actually wrote a really fantastic and short, easy, and even fun to read book called uh, Praise Habit that was very influential in my uh, younger life. And he writes this, he says, We tell the glory of God by our very existence. It is unavoidable. Meaning everything that we are, everything that we do, actually uh, responds to how amazing God is. How magnanimous, how huge, how great and awesome that God actually is. But he says we can choose to amplify this or not. We can choose to be moved by this or not. And when he writes that, he's actually writing about this particular psalm that we're talking about today. Psalm uh, chapter 8. It says this, and uh, remember, as I sort of read through the beginning part of this psalm, this is the psalmist's attempt to respond to God, right? Like, we are already telling the glory of God by our very existence. That part's unavoidable. But what is not unavoidable is the way in which we choose to respond. We can choose to amplify this. We can choose to allow it to move us and move us deeply inside as to who we are, or we can choose not to. So Psalm 8 says this, O Lord, our God, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avengers and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? In this moment, the psalmist is sort of recognizing the great gap that there is between us and God. That when you truly have an encounter with the divine, when you truly are able to wrap your mind around just how majestic, how huge, how amazing he is, when you truly realize that uh, even children that can't even speak yet are already sort of uh, subconsciously aware of how amazing God is, when you look at the mountains, when you look at the stars, when you look at the things that he has created, you are aware aware that God is awesome, and it also sort of cycles back to make you aware of just how frail, how small, how little, how seemingly insignificant we are, and yet God is mindful of us. This is one of the truest pictures of worship in the entire Bible, in my opinion. In this moment, what's happening is there's a recognition of who God is, how amazing, how perfect, how majestic is His name above all the earth, which in turn causes us to remember who we are. And who we are are people that are not God, not in control, but who are cared for and loved by God. That God is mindful of us ought to be something that leads us into praise. Because of those two elements, because of sort of how, God, how good God is and how amazing God is and how mindful and caring He is of little, old, insignificant us, the proper response, really the only response to God, is to worship. But a lot of times it's kind of difficult for us. We don't sort of like naturally gravitate towards that. And the short answer as to why that is the case, it is because of the fall. You see, before the sin in the garden, before uh, Adam and Eve broke fellowship, broke covenant with God, they were constantly in communication and in connection with Him and who He is. And 
after that sin, after that divide, a chasm was formed to where we no longer know how to relate directly to God. We no longer know how to properly respond to who He is. It's like me responding to John Goodman. Him being so distant, so amazing, and yet also so close to me at the same time leads me to say, I don't really know what to do. And that is exactly how we operate in this world. And so all of us are sort of like somewhere on that spectrum. Even if you like don't believe in Jesus, let's say that you're even like opposed to the very idea of God. You're as like flagrant of an atheist as you can possibly be. That in and of itself is a choice of a response to the God of the universe. And you're responding to him by saying, I don't believe that you exist. Similarly, if you're a fervent believer, if you're someone who's chasing hard after Jesus as much as you can, that in and of itself is a, pro- is a response to God. It's saying, like, I am choosing to follow after you. But we have a lot of trouble, I think, even if we're trying to follow Jesus, even if we are trying to give our lives to him, we have a lot of trouble giving him the worship that he actually deserves and worshiping him, honoring him, praising him in the way that he actually deserves. Here's just a few sort of like quick reasons why I think particularly today that is a difficult thing. So remember, uh, by and large, the problem is that we are sinful and selfish human beings. But even more than that, there's specific things that make it difficult for you and I to worship today. And think about this, especially in terms of like collective corporate worship gatherings. We actually worship all the time going through our, our everyday lives. We're actually worshiping uh, anything and everything that we can get our hands on if we're not you know, conscious of what we're doing. But think about even during the times when we sit down and we say, hey, this is a time when we are going to sing together and pray together and read through scripture together. This is a time when we are all going to worship together. It's still kind of difficult. I think the first reason is because praise in our society is often monetized. Praise is not something that you just sort of like hear, uh, you know, walking down the street. Like think about the last time you heard like high praise for someone or for something. Now there's a small chance that it was about a friend or someone who did a really good job or something like that. But more likely it was something like this. I cannot tell you how much I love this insert product name here, right? It has changed my life. I really don't know how I lived before them, right? Like, that's the kind of praise that we're used to in our society. So much praise from, like, you know, whether you're on Amazon and reading a review, or even if you're on social media or something, it's all this sort of, like, consumeristic kind of praise, like, you know, we've, we've turned following someone or even liking someone into a term that has been co-opted and means something completely different. And in fact, you liking someone can translate into them making more money, which is sort of like an odd thing and a total like misappropriation of the word liked. But anyway, uh, you can think about like podcasts, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts that like sort of, you know, just putting in my earbuds and going into, ta- going to town, you know, and uh, they're always talking about different things. One of the biggest ones is the Casper mattress. I don't know if you've ever heard any of these ads. If you've listened to two different podcasts in your life, you have heard about this Casper mattress. You probably are even asking yourself, am I getting paid by Casper mattress right now? Well, I will say this is not an endorsement, but it's the strangest thing, right? Because you know, you're listening and they got that cool podcast voice going and they're like, and then the killer raised his knife to the woman's throat. But more on that after the break. 
Having trouble sleeping because you listen to too many true crime podcasts? You should try the Casper mattress, right? And they do that transition where they're like, hey, I'm telling you all about, you know, this like interesting story that you want to hear about. But equally, I'm just as excited, maybe even more so, about this tiny package that shows up at my door and then a mattress expands out and I sleep better than I ever have before. That's the kind of praise that we are used to hearing right now. This is what we sort of naturally think about when we think about praise. So when we think about, or when we try and shift our minds into thinking like, this is how I respond to the creator and sustainer of the universe, it's a little bit of a difficult leap for us to make sometimes. The second reason why I think it's difficult for for us to praise and worship, and I think specifically in a corporate sense together, is that uh, there's something, and I'm going to sound so snooty when I say this, but I think that it is real and we need to recognize it, and it is the de-evolution of the American mind. Now, uh, right now, in today's time, it is not really popular to be sort of like smart, I guess, would be one word for it. Maybe another word would be like eloquent or verbose or something, but even those words sound pretentious. Like, we are so afraid of coming across as some sort of egghead, somebody who uses bigger words than they have to, somebody who's snooty and elitist, that we have eliminated entire words, in fact, any almost any word over four syllables, entirely eliminated them from our vocabulary. And I think uh, that should tell us something about ourselves. I mean, think about this. This just hit me the other day. Emily Dickinson was writing like thousands and thousands of pieces of poetry, and we respect her for who she was, you know, back when she was living, and she was not giving this poetry to anyone. There was no monetization about it in her mind. There was no even, like, goal. And yet, somehow, it was acceptable in her society for her to do that, right? Like, she's actually saying, like, well... Uh, you know, people write poetry, and I don't have to publish it in some newspaper or some sort of literary journal, but I'm going to do it because it's, like, good and healthy for my soul. That's not the case today. And I don't know why and how we lost that. In fact, uh, just this past weekend, we were in uh, the Grand Tetons. Sarah and I took a quick little trip up there, and uh, we're hanging out. Sarah actually ended up watching the sunrise over the Tetons, and this is what she said. She said, She's going to kill me for putting this in there, but I'm going to do it anyway. She said, there's something humbling, restorative, and inspiring about being in creation so vast. About being reminded that I am so small. Sometimes I need to get away to be reminded, to restore the joy of my salvation. And this was just what my soul needed right now. Another Facebook friend of mine was actually, uh, had just gotten back from the Grand Tetons. He had been sitting and watching the exact same scene that Sarah just described on her, uh, on her post that she wrote. This is what he posted. Uh, Jenny Lake is legit. That was it. Legit is the word, which, uh, if you don't know, legit is a shortened form of the word legitimate, uh, but... Either way, this is the only way in which he can feel that he can express his intense emotions at seeing one of the most beautiful sights in the entire United States, maybe even the world, at seeing God's glory on full display. The only way that he can sort of like voice his reflection, uh, the things that are stirring deep inside him, the things that are moving in his soul at being connected deeper to his creator, is that it was legit. That's kind of how we talk right now, right? 
And I get it, you know, like, let's disassemble everything, let's remove all pretense, let's not be so showy, uh, but I think we can do a little bit better. And it really hurts our ability to be able to worship when so much of the language is foreign to us. In fact, uh, that's sort of the reason for this thing uh, that you don't even need to know about, but only, you know, Christian nerds like me actually know and care about, called the uh, Contemporary Christian Movement. And it was a movement to take what were old hymns, old styles of worship, and translate them into modern language that we might be able to appreciate. But even now, you know, that we're probably 20, 30 years into the CCM movement, it still feels like we walk into a church gathering or we stand around and sing and worship, praise, read scripture with friends, and we're using a whole different set of vocabulary than we normally use in our regular lives. And that's why it's difficult. And I want to say, especially to you guys who may be new to this Christianity game, that's completely okay. And I think it's just important to recognize that there's something different about the way in which we have chosen to sort of like speak and live our lives and understand who we are. And there's also something beautiful and amazing about using language that is attaining to be able to explain our creator. Think about like great artwork through history. Great works of literature, great works of visual art, whatever it may be. These were very often uh, ways in which deeply religious men and women were trying to put language, to put ideas, to put concrete images around the beauty and amazing nature of their creator. They were trying through their uh, artistic endeavors to say, O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name. And I think that's something that we as Christians need to get back to. I think it's something that we need to fight hard for against all of the other forces that are going on uh, to push us into saying, well, let's just repeat that God is good, you know, or something like that. And, And while I'm not against that kind of like beautiful simplicity, what I am for is seeking and even pushing ourselves to the very limits of our minds, to the very limits of our creative abilities to be able to to try and wrap our minds around how beautiful God is, just like the psalmist did in Psalm 8. Finally, and this might be the biggest killer to uh, many of us actually worshiping uh, today, uh, first, or, uh, the, the problem is that feeling is very often our judge of authenticity. And we've talked about this before, so I won't, you know, talk about it too much more, but uh, there's something of a vicious cycle here, right? We sing about loving God or respecting and honoring His greatness, but we don't always feel that way. If you've been at a church service like twice in your life, odds are one of those times you just maybe weren't necessarily feeling it. And when we don't feel that way, but we're still singing that, we feel like that is just the epitome of being hypocritical. We feel inauthentic and we feel wrong, which forces us then back into the cycle to say, hey, I don't want to do that anymore. But think about that for just a second. This is very often, you know, one of people's biggest problems for worship. Like, how do I, how do I sing in worship and not really feel that way? But when you're asking that question, like, isn't that really making it more about us? Like, worship is about the way that we should feel in response to God? I don't think that's the case. It really should be more about recognizing His greatness and who He is, regardless of how we feel about it. Now, ideally, you should feel when you worship 
Uh, and the best worship does engage your heart, your emotional state, as well as your mind and your soul and your body. But that doesn't mean that your fickle heart ought to be the litmus test for whether or not worship is authentic or real. In fact, Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, we live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, then there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different. That we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling more, much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Now, uh, this is kind of revolutionary to the way that we live our lives. I'm going to read that sentence one more again, or one more time. The wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed through an act of worship. This is true of every single relationship that you have. If I only responded to Sarah in kindness and respect that she deserves when I am like, you know, soaring on the heights of emotional love and I'm just, you know, on a cloud and staring at her on the couch like this. If I only did that when I was feeling that way, I would be an awful husband. She deserves honor, kindness, love, and so much more, even more than I can actually give to her, much more often than I feel like giving it. Right? Like, if, if how I treated her was solely based on the way in which I feel about her in every single moment of every single day, that would be an awful relationship to be a part of. And the same is true for the way that we, res we should respond to God. We should not let our feelings dictate what He, is, uh, what he deserves through our worship. So, uh, those are all the reasons why it is difficult for us to worship so then how should we actually worship? And this is very important because so few of us actually take the time to sit down and think through this very question. Now, what we do as a part of a worship gathering is what I would like to call active worship. We gather for corporate worship. Right now we're doing that through backyard cathedrals or even through singing, or I mean through praying together and through reading of scripture here on uh, the Dwell Digital Living Room. Uh, however, the church does that throughout different times throughout history. has been differing widely, but mostly, for the most part, there has been uh, elements of singing, elements of scripture, of communion, of praying together. Those are kind of the things uh, that we do together as a corporate worship service in addition to uh, the sermon. But I think, like I said, we don't necessarily think too critically about it. And very often we just refer to the singing part of a worship gathering as worship, which in and of itself is a misnomer. Worshiping is uh, so much larger than just singing. And singing together corporately is just one way in which we choose to worship. But let's talk about that today, since that is the most common way that we think about worship. I'm not sure if most of us have actually taken the time to sit down and think through what we're actually doing in that event. N.T. Wright says it this way, When you sing, you are using your body as a musical instrument. And when you sing words that are about God and the world and God's rescue of us and God's grace and mercy and love, you're actually turning your body into a kind of resonating echo chamber of all of that meaning. And you are praying that your life, and not just your mind, not just your emotions, but your whole self, will actually be 
transformed. He goes on to say that this act of singing is like literally transformative. That when you do something, and this is true for anything, any kind of habit that you do, anything that you do over and over again, whenever you do something over and over again, it begins to rewrite the neural pathways in your brain that like the act of doing something, like gathering together once a week to sing songs about God, that very act changes our bodies on a physical level. And what's happening there is something truly, truly beautiful. Through the simple act of singing and worshiping together, we're actually allowing God to change us more and more into the people that He wants us to be, the people that we were designed to be originally, and the people that we will be when we live in His kingdom, when it is fully actualized, when we live forever in eternity with Him. These are the people that we're going to be. And every time you gather for corporate worship, every time you sing those words, every time you uh, voice that to God, you turn your body into that instrument, even when you don't necessarily feel it, what you're actually doing is rewriting your own body makeup to become a heavenly person, to become a kingdom of God person. Singing worship songs is actually an act of becoming. We are becoming more the people that God has made us to be, that He desires us to be, that He died on the cross for us to be able to be. It, in and of itself, is transformative. The other way that we worship, if if those are all sort of the active ways that we worship, the other way that we worship is passively. And while, you know, I could get sort of practical and specific about singing and and talk about it that way, this way is a little bit harder to nail down. But it is crucial to being. It is crucial to living the kingdom lifestyle that we want to live. And basically, and you you can try out this exercise for yourself, there's basically two ways of living, as I understand it. One is sort of keeping your head down, getting bogged in all of the mess and all the mire, all the things that we have to do, is looking at the physical world as just things that we can use or things that we relate to, is just sort of going through our normal lives, just passing the time, uh, existing, trying to accomplish whatever it is we're doing, trying to get things done and succeed or who knows what. And the other way of looking at the world sort of taking a cue from the obvious posture of the psalmist. Taking a cue from some of the greatest artists and writers and poets and and creators from all of history. The way of going through the world where you are actually walking through the world with eyes open. And I think when you're actively on the lookout for God... When you're actively looking out for the ways in which He is moving and doing things big and small, when you're actively searching for the beautiful uh, fingerprints of His creation that are everywhere throughout the world, both in small, seemingly insignificant things and huge things that He has placed throughout the world, almost like an Easter egg hunt just for your enjoyment. When you walk through the world with those type of eyes, It's almost impossible not to worship. It's almost impossible to not look around at all the beautiful things that He has made and is continuing to make and to sustain and not say, Who am I that you are mindful of me? God, that you would do this for me. You would make this for me. 
And when that thought crosses our mind, our only response then is to respond in worship. And to recall back to him how majestic is your name. My hope and my prayer is that you're able to do that. To take some sort of small baby step just this very week. To try to, to rewrite your own neural pathway. To look at the world with those type of eyes. And to be worshiping as often as you can. Because God deserves it. And it'll be good for your life too. Love you guys. Thanks for joining us. I will see you next week. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.